Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You take away the big themes. You abandon the things that made us love this market for so long. And you get an unruly, ugly market like we had today, with the Dow sinking 345 points, now on pace for its first negative quarter since Q3 of 2015. S&P tumbling 1.73%, and the Nasdaq folding like a cheap suit, down nearly 3%. After a decent opening for most of the market, I guess what a selling opportunity in retrospect, the pain among our former leaders in the Nasdaq was too staggering, and it ended up dragging down everything. Talk about a change of pace from yesterday's staggeringly beautiful rally. This kind of session reminds me of the old stylistic song, Break Up to Makeup. When they sing, first you love me, then you hate me, that's a game for fools. I have to wonder if they were really talking about the stock market. Given the losses racked up today, after yesterday's gains, it sure seems like a game for fools, doesn't it? The cause? Real damage. Not just hyperbole, but real damage to some of the most powerful concepts underpinning this market, and frankly, ones that have underpinned it for years. I've talked about how last week's major sell-off took away some of the biggest props. Then we got a recovery yesterday, tantalized many. But then the pressure began anew today, and we got crushed. Let's start with... Yeah, social media. While Facebook's executives were apologetic and sorrowful about the data handling scandal last week, the remorse came too late, and it didn't matter one whit to lawmakers in America or in Britain, for that matter. Mark Zuckerberg turned out an invitation to address Parliament, causing a lot of sturm und drang among the shareholder base. And while the CEO may address Congress, we're not sure if or when. And... It might not be in the end, the end of the pain. That's because, as I've said before, I've said this now a dozen times, they've got to listen. Listen to me on the apology thing. Hey, that's the beginning. There'll be no bottom in Facebook 
until they appoint an outside counsel to investigate what really happened here. They seem tone deaf. I'm now I'm going to just give them the whole darn playbook. I recommend hiring Ted Wells from Paul Weiss. Both Fox News and the NFL brought him in to figure out their crises and render a verdict. He did. And while there were consequences each time, and I bet you there will be a Facebook, no one questioned the institutions about any cover-up again. And that's what's been going on. You need a similar appointment here, preferably at the urging of the board's outside directors. Where are they? When are they going to talk? Facebook is going to get past the crisis. That's the crisis playbook. Read it. Do it, Facebook. Now, Congress doesn't just want to hear from Facebook. It wants to hear from Alphabet. It wants to hear from Twitter. Okay, the latter prompted the notorious short-selling firm Citron Research to issue a blistering sell call on Twitter. According to Citron's editor, Andrew Left, Twitter is the most to lose from regulation because of its freewheeling approach to selling your data. Now, the company's denied that it sells anything confidential, but Left insists that it's the most vulnerable of the three because it, it, it's run up to us. When he was on Closing Bell, Kelly Evans and Wilfred Frost tried to pin him down about what he meant with these charges, given that Twitter questioned their accuracy. But by that point, the stock was already down more than 10 percent and left argued that Twitter's vulnerability was self-evident or else it wouldn't have gone down so much if he had made the, if, if he had made the charges. Wait a second. I mean, that's some ridiculous circular reasoning. Think about it. It went down a lot because he made the charges and that, for, that proves that it's vulnerable. But it worked. Stock closed down 12 percent. Ouch. Or mission accomplished. As for Alphabet, it got double duty as a pinata today. Because, frankly, you could say that tomorrow is Alphabet's turn on the cross. Any short seller could make the same argument about Alphabet that Left just made about Twitter. It, it can go down because it's vulnerable. No wonder the stock fell more than 4%. On top of that, Alphabet's also being hurt by the loss of another big theme, the driverless car. Remember, this company has a huge autonomous car division, Waymo, and ever since the fatal car accident involving a self-driving Uber in Arizona, this whole group's been under relentless pressure. Today, NVIDIA, which makes chips for self-driving cars, including Uber, suspended its own testing, which caused the stock to fall nearly $20. That's a real pasting for one of the best-performing stocks of the era. As I've told you before, the self-driving car is crucial to the next leg of tech, because it uses so many semiconductors. But today's reckoning really focused more on NVIDIA than any other. We'll have a chance to speak to Jensen Wong, NVIDIA's visionary CEO, on Thursday. Honestly, I have no doubt that self-driving cars will ultimately be adopted en masse. But there's no denying this accident was a huge setback. Tesla got slammed today, too, not just because of autonomous driving worries. We also got a research report saying Model 3 sales could be soft. Now, that's incredible, considering how long the wait for this thing used to be, huh? I mean, hey, I put in for one and gave up some months later because I needed a new car. Looks like others might have, too. The combination of worries sent the stock plummeting down 8%. Out of nowhere, the industrials, which had been so strong yesterday. Remember the global synchronized story had been back on? Uh, it, it, when it looked like the, the tariff battle with China had cooled, it just gave up the ghost entirely today. If you didn't know any better, you'd think that the trade war is back on and the Chinese are about to hit us with the import duties that they threatened us with over the weekend. 
That's certainly what today's action hints at. Boeing and all of its suppliers were crushed, as were Apple and Intel near the end of the day. These are the three of the biggest potential targets if China decides to retaliate. About the only stocks that held up today were what I call the wrong ones, meaning the consumer packaged good stocks. These are stocks that do well when we're headed into a recession. I get that. Interest rates fell rather dramatically today, and that inspired a lot of fear, the kind of fear that makes people buy Clorox, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark. Yes, it was that nasty. Of course, lower rates deck the bank stocks, which need higher rates. And don't forget, finance and tech make up about 43% of the S&P 500. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Was yesterday's rally an aberration? with today's sell-off being the real deal continuation of last week? Or was today's sell-off just part of some sort of overall retest that we need to expect after an exuberant Monday? In all honesty, I think this market has become downright treacherous. It's just too controversial. The best examples of these are NVIDIA and Twitter, which have been incredibly strong stocks. It'd be natural for NVIDIA to suspend the, suspend the autonomous driving chips until it figures out what caused the fatality in, in, in that Uber because their content was in the car. I mean, how, how can you blame them for behaving responsibly? I think the problem will be solved. And frankly, I also think it's inevitable, though, that there'll be more fatalities from autonomous driving cars. Cars will always have accidents. But as long as the machines do ultimately a better job of driving than humans, it's an improvement. I believe NVIDIA's longer-term story remains intact, but I understand that the client's a setback. However, I expect it's not done going down for the moment, and yet then ultimately it can rally. How about Twitter? The fact that it can go down because a short seller says it's vulnerable without really explaining why it's vulnerable in any detail, is a sign of true fragility for both this stock and the whole market. I've liked Twitter ever since that last good quarter, but I recognize again that it's moved up a lot. And that's the vulnerability. Stocks that have moved up a lot can go down a lot. What matters is whether they find their footing. For the moment, though, tech has lost some of its most powerful themes, and we're still mired in all sorts of big-picture fears from Washington. But the bottom line, we really need to get used to these wild swings that send stocks plunging after any major rally. It may be about breaking up, though, and not making up, because the whole thing feels a bit like the fool's game that the stylistics foreshadowed way back in their breakout 1973 hit. You don't have to like it. Maybe you need to leave it. But this is certainly the situation we now find ourselves in. There's always a bull market somewhere. But, man, they're making it tough to find for more than 24 hours. Let's go to Craig in Rhode Island. Craig! Hello, Jim, and thank you for taking my call. Of course. My stock is Citigroup. I've been a long-term holder about 12 years. Your opinion of Citigroup after the presidential election was positive. Yes. You called it a Trump stock. What is your opinion of the bank today? I think it's an excellent bank. I think it sells uh, almost a tangible book. Now, my travel trusts trim some. Why? We've been trimming everything. We've been raising cash every day. Why? As I told club members in yesterday's call, because the market is treacherous. There's too many things, too much controversy. When there's this much controversy, I trim. That's what I do. It's what I've done. It's what I will always do. Ed in Pennsylvania. Ed. Yes. Uh, BGS is the subject matter. I'm a long-term investor. And, of course, they've been uh, dismantled practically over the last uh, year. Right. 
My question is, is the company effectively executing their growth strategy? The analysts have been negative on their success to be able to associate the, uh, with their acquisition integration strategy. Well, look, they, they missed the quarter. Um, there's been some insider buying. I do not like the food group. I'm not going to change my mind. B&G is, is part of an overall trend, which is that if it's in the supermarket, most people want to sell it. And I'm not going to buck it by uh, picking a stock like B&G when a stock like General Mills is having so many problems. All right, you got to get used to these wide swings, Kramerica, or you take a breather. I know it feels like a fool's game to be involved. But you know what? You and I are in it to win it ultimately. Not tomorrow, not next week, but ultimately. And we'll do it together. Oh, man, tonight. After an ugly sell before the close, I'm on the hunt for actual buying opportunities in unexpected places. And get this. I'll tell you, if the chain stores in the mall and their alleged demise is overblown, then with roller coaster action on the averages, I know you got questions. So tonight I'm opening the phone lines for a sell-off strategy session. We do these when we get these giant swings. And it's right to do because we're the most interactive TV show there is. And it may have been an ugly day for stocks, but I got my eye on a couple of bright spots. That's what you do when it's down big. Do not miss my take on one of the most impressive turnaround stories that I can think of. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Um, this is going to just sound crazy to you, and especially on a day where the S&P saw 1.7% decline. But I think many of the stores in the mall are making a comeback. I know. I, I, I know you don't believe me. There have been so many bankruptcies that we barely notice them anymore. Claire's just filed last week. A place that pierced more than 100 million ears is now a moral relic. I, I guess that's better than saying 50 million people, right? I mean, you got two ears. We see Sears slip sliding away, even as I feel very good about CEO Eddie Lampert himself after that trenchant Vanity Fair profile. We see a scene with a bunch of pathetic mall brands like Ann Taylor fighting for its very life. Although, of course, it would say that it's not. Yeah, it looks bad. But then Finish Line, the mall-based shoe store, catches a huge takeover bid yesterday. And suddenly we wonder if maybe the mall still got a pulse. JD Sports Fashion, a smart British outfit, is paying $13.50 per share in cash or $558 million for Finish Line. I think it's a good move for all involved. The rap against Finish Line have been that, unlike Foot Locker, didn't always get the first-run Nikes. I bet that changes once the giant JD Sports takes control. And it's not just one deal. Lately, we've seen a spate of mall-based retailers report fantastic numbers. I, nobody's paying attention to Zoomies, right? But this fashion-forward apparel place saw its stock hit a 52-week high yesterday. It's delivering much better than expected sales a couple of weeks ago. Sure, it pulled back dramatically today, but the point stands. If the mall were really dead, if no one was going to the mall, Zoomies would be making new lows. 
not new highs. DSW, the old uh, designer shoe warehouse, is on the verge of a breakout, also in the wake of a strong quarter not long ago. Normally, I'd be a little worried about a down-and-out retailer with dividend that yields 4.5%, but DSW just boosted its payout by 25%. That's a good sign, not a bad one. Maybe it's not so down-and-out after all. Look, I don't want to get too excited. There are still plenty of losers in the mall. Take the stock. Take stock of Express, okay? That's down 30% for the year with its stock in the single digits. But you know what? I dug deep into this one, thinking maybe it was next to go. <laughs> so wrong. As bad as Express looks, there's a very profitable retailer with rising margins and a balance sheet that's clean as a whistle. Do this company had $236 million in cash, no debt, and its market cap is just $562 million. I mean, maybe the stock's been punished enough. We scoffed at that short squeeze in Fossil when the watchmaker, watch seller reported in early February. Yet Fossil delivered a gigantic earnings beat with robust same-store sales up 2%. company no longer seems to be a death store and it'll soon be profitable again. People yawned when guests posted a big upside surprise last week. We heard there were flies on it, including the low single-digit same-store sales declines management was projecting. Still, guests gave you a 52% earnings growth number, and that's pretty darn good. No wonder the stock hit another 52-week high today. The popular perception that the stores in the mall are dying uh, it is, it's certainly not going to go away. But how many better-than-expected quarters do we need to see from mall-based chains before we conclude that reports of the demise of the mall-based retailers may be greatly exaggerated? On top of the ones I already mentioned, we've gotten positive numbers from Abercrombie, from American Eagle, Williams Sonoma, Ralph Lauren, Michael Kors, Macy's, Gap, Tapestry, the old coach, and Urban Outfitters. Isn't that enough? As far as I'm concerned, it's a perception problem. L Brands, that's been a big overhang. It's the parent of Victoria's Secret, Pink, and Bath and Body Works. It's got a lot of stores in the mall, and they're not doing that great. Yet the company's buying back stock hand over fist and pays you 6.3% yield. I don't know what they need to do in order to turn those stores around. But if I think they, if they do... It, it would be huge. Some companies like the aforementioned Asina simply refuse to bite the bullet and own up to the dismal nature of some of their portfolio and close those stores. However, each time I see another retailer break out or beat the numbers, like Restoration Hardware or Lululemon did to this very night on a terrible day, or get taken over like Finish Line yesterday, it makes me think that many, many stores within the wall are still very much alive. That may seem ridiculous to you when we've got major anchor tenants like Sears or stores like the faltering GameStop, which reports tomorrow, or Signet Jewelers, which keeps sinking now that Zales and K are run more like jewelry stores than loan sharks. Still, I think we've reached a tipping point. There's too much good happening to keep writing off all the mall-based chains. Once we get just a few more closings and maybe a handful more bankruptcies, it will be very clear that the mall retail business is back. And many of the bargains here, they may be too good to ignore. All right, much more man money ahead, including my sell-off strategy session for a really bad day like today. I'm opening up the phone lines to hear from you, America, because we're the most interactive show on earth. Let me help you navigate the market's unknowns. Then you may feel like this market's giving you motion sickness, but I'm eyeing a play that could be worth picking up after today's drop. You do not want to miss my sit-down with the CEO of Kohl's. And there are plenty of unknowns in this market. But there's one thing that will never change. People's love for their furry friends. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Zoetis to talk about the humanization of pets. So stick with Kramer.
a tough whipsaw day out there, the kind of day that makes you feel like, you know what, maybe the stock market isn't for you. The stock market is a great long-term generator of wealth, but you've got to think long-term. And we got to get through tough days like today, which is why I'm opening the phone lines for a special sell-off strategy session so we can deal with this level of volatility, which, by the way, is code for went down a lot. So let's go to Nicholas in Florida. Nicholas, to start the session. Hey, a big Boca Raton, Florida. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for all your help over the years. I'm a finance major at FAU, and I have a question about UPS. I started trading in high school and was able to obtain a sizable position. I took half off the table in the recent January highs, and I'm wondering if the decline presents a significant buying opportunity. I know the company has extremely strong fundamentals. Where do you see the company going in the future, and do you like the stock as a long-term hold? Okay, UPS is a value stock, Nicholas, and you're at school, so I want you to know the difference. A value stock like UPS, very seriously, I have to tell you, could be worth a great deal over the long term. It's got a 3.5% yield, but they have underinvested versus their uh, competitor, FedEx. So they have to invest a lot more money, and I think that's causing the problems, which keep it at 102. May I suggest a totally different story? XBO Logistics, if that stock comes down, we've had Brad Jacobs on a number of times. It is the last mile play in e-commerce. So, Nicholas, my bet is rather than deal with United Parcel, which has to spend all that money, I prefer XBO Logistics. Let's go to Jeff in Virginia. Jeff. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, I'm on a long-term 15 to 20-year horizon, and uh, two new oil plays uh, this week, uh, MMP and S-A-N-G, ticker symbols. Uh, What do you think about those? Okay, uh, Jeff, you know what? Long-term in the oil world is quite bad. I think that yesterday we did a piece about how natural gas use is probably going to be peaking here in this country, at least for heating purposes. Uh, I think that oil and gas are falling out of favor with new young portfolio managers. So the answer is, if you have a 15, 10, 15, 20-year horizon, oil and gas is going to be quite bad. So I would not own those stocks, even though they look like value. Let's go to Sam in Illinois, please. Sam. Hiya, Jim. How are you? I am okay. Long day. How about you? It's a long day, yeah. Can we can we just talk trading here for a second? Sure. Okay. With uh, with all the volatility we've had lately, it's making the options prices very expensive. So, uh, instead of messing around with those VIX ETFs and stuff like that, if you want to be short volatility, uh, why not sell out of the money? Put spreads. Okay. Very high probability of success on good stocks when they're down bad. Sam, you won't do that. uh, You won't do that in Cramerica. Here's why. In 1987, I was trading in the crash. And the firm that I was at, because I had left Goldman Sachs, was a firm, a very good firm. uh, And they had an out-of-the-money put strategy. Uh, When the market crashed, they owned everything. And they didn't have the money. And they went under. Mm. I came in. I see. Office was locked up. Now, see, I got to tell you, Sam, most people haven't been around that long. So they think that's a terrific strategy. When you're trying to get in your office and it's locked because it closed, it tends to concentrate your mind. So those who think <laughs> that that's a safe strategy, Sam, 
They're not old enough. I am. Mm. Let's go to Scott in Florida, please, Scott. Hello. Scott, you're up. Hey, uh, Jim, I have a question. Uh, I have a small portfolio, about 100000 and uh, about 10 15% of it is in financial sector. And I put it in there because I had a feeling I, I thought the interest rates would go up, which I thought would benefit that sector. And I'm seeing a lot of the news and things saying that, you know, people are a little afraid of that sector right now. Um, I'm 69 years old, and I'm wondering if maybe I need to kind of move that out of there and back into something else. Well, Scott, let me ask you, uh, these stocks respond both to uh, the 10-year Treasury, but they also respond to higher short-term rates. Given that we know that the Fed is going to raise short-term rates over the next, say, three or four years, they've been saying that, wouldn't that be a good investment for someone who's 69? That's what I thought when I did it, but I've, you know, watching the program before you, and hearing other, you know, the gurus, right? They were they were saying that you know, everybody's kind of wondering, you know, it's not doing what they thought. So I just wondered if what you think. Well, I think you know maybe some people are given to short termism. I mean, I think people thought that J.P. Morgan was very expensive in the fifties, in the sixties, in the seventies. When it got to ninety, I said I was going to go to hundred, and I was hectored on Twitter and all these other places because it then went down a little bit. You know what? I think first of all, you're sixty-nine years young. You got a long life ahead of you. Second, you don't have to have all stocks. Obviously, that would be the wrong thing to do. But you're dealing with stocks that are selling at 12 to 14 times earnings that are run by very good people with a very good balance sheet. So my take is I need you to have long-term view. You've got it, and that means own the banks. Don't sell them. All right. What a wild day. What a wild and often confused and often uncontrollable market. But I'm here for you, America. We'll tackle together. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with a really good story called Coles. After an ugly day on the averages, I'll find out if the company's worth trying on despite the market's unknowns. Then in a challenging environment, it's more than ever to focus on some longer-term themes that we know that work. Don't miss my sit-down with Soetis to see how the humanization of pets can keep the company purring. And I think it will, because that doesn't matter about where the Fed is. It doesn't matter about where the Chinese are. It doesn't matter about who's president. We love our pets. All your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. After a real ugly day where it felt like the rug got pulled out from under us, let's try to remember that some stocks do get cheaper as they go lower. Take Kohl's, KSS, the department store chain that's become one of the most impressive turnaround stories out there. The company reported a phenomenal quarter earlier this month, and its stock has been a horse. It's up over 10% since we last spoke to the CEO in January. You know I'm a believer here. And I think this stock only does get more attractive as it goes down. Don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to sit down with Kevin Mansell. He's the chairman and CEO of Kohl's at one of its new small form stores. Take a look. Kevin, you're putting up the best same store sales numbers. That 6.3 number was incredible. The holidays were great. What are you doing? It looks like traffic is huge here. 
For sure. I mean, you know, there are a number of really good stories in our income statement and our results, but I would say the number one priority for the company for the last two years has been around driving traffic. With the number of stores that we have, we have to turn the tide on driving traffic, and that's fundamentally what happened in the fourth quarter. We had a great holiday because we outperformed on traffic. It seems like you've got, uh, you're going with the usual low price, but you've got some big brands here and big brands at a price that are cheaper than a lot of other uh, places. Just emphasize a couple of them and really hit it out of the park. I think we did. I think generally, though, you know, we built uh, a national brand strategy, which was to provide customers more options mm -hmm. um, and to really emphasize within the store. So it was not only introducing new brands, you probably know we introduced a big one last year in Under Armour, right. but it was also amplifying some of the really big ones we already had. So whether it was active brands like Nike or Adidas or more traditional brands like Levi's or Carter's or Van U's and really bring them up in the store with more offering and, as you said, great value at the same time. Um, I've been a Sonoma buyer because I want the value and my weekend clothes are Sonoma. We've got some great Sonoma here. Your private label often looks more uh, expensive but cheaper than these national brands. Well, I mean, one of the things that's great about Kohl's is while we've put a big spotlight on national brands in the last 18 to 24 months, we have a great balance. Over 40% of our business is our own proprietary brands. And some of the brands, you just mentioned one, Sonoma is a great example, have really started to perform better, driven by one thing. We know what we have to do better in our proprietary brands is improve our speed to market. So reduce the amount of time it takes us to get a product from you know our vision to the customer and that's starting to make a difference okay when my wife and I order something wrong from Amazon we got to package it up we take it to a place that then ships it out I usually have a line six deep it bothers me immensely to have to repackage when I look at your your offering your partnership with Amazon all I can tell you is is that I'm in and out but I'm while I come in I go through the store. This has got to be the, this is the future. How's it working? It's working great. I mean, we have a lot of innovation. We're sitting in one of our innovative ideas, which is a small store. Okay. But the Amazon Pilot is definitely another one. We think that the ability of providing that service and doing it, as you said, in a seamless way, because it's uh, got to be fast. Right. And then converting that traffic to Kohl's shoppers and purchases is a big idea. We're early. We're really early. We're a few months into it. But we know one thing for sure. The experience is amazing, and people are using the service. And it is uh, where I presume you have it, a traffic generator. For sure, we think it's driving, you know, the key thing in, on the traffic side, Jim, is it's gotta be incremental traffic, right? Because if, right. if all that's right. happening is you and your wife are coming in with that return, and that's a visit you would have made anyway two right. weeks later, that doesn't really provide anything for us. So we just need a little more time to understand the incrementality. Okay, I understand, my Coles does not have, I mean, we do have our Coles. My Coles does not have uh, something that I find in the mall. Uh, which is beauty. And I think uh, looking your selfie best is the way you have to be. Not Facebook, Instagram. You know? But there <laughs> does seem to me to be something that you can do in beauty that I think would drive traffic. Yeah, no, there's no question. We have room to grow in beauty. We, we know we have the opportunity to make it happen. We're on a journey there. Right. Um, we've improved the beauty business a lot. 
but is nowhere near where it has to be eventually. Health and wellness, big theme? Health and wellness is big throughout the store, and that was a stake in the ground we put uh, over two years ago. And it's way beyond active apparel or active footwear, but it goes into our home areas, sleep well, eat well, just a healthy lifestyle. We know that that's how America wants to live in the future, and if we can become the destination for active and wellness, we think we've got a long-term strategy. Well, let's talk about active and wellness when it comes to footwear. I see a lot of Nike, I see a lot of Adidas, and I see Under Armour. Is it possible that all of them are doing well? They are. It's hard to believe, right? But yeah. it's just kind of, if you, if you stick with where you just were, which is to say, hey, people are living differently today than they used to, mm -hmm. and therefore the way they dress, you know, is going along. Right. So footwear and apparel, all three of those brands are doing phenomenally well. We had a great year with Nike, our number one brand in the store. We had the biggest increase with Adidas, which is growing fast. And then, of course, we had the amazing introduction over the course of the last year with Under Armour. So it lifted our overall active business up about 16% for the year. Okay, one thing I really want to get to, uh, the reliability of Kohl's. And most importantly, I don't know if people realize, but a lot of chains have had to close a lot of stores. It has been your ability to capitalize from their closings, and you don't seem to be opening and closing stores like the other guy. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it's driven by two factors, right? Number one, on a physical basis, we're not in the mall. So a lot of the store closures you see are definitely mall-based, right. for sure. But there are other outside of the mall closing as well. I think our real estate's pretty fresh. We're freestanding, we're strip center. We have a lot of flexible formats, Oops. so one of, the one of the reasons that we're uh, you know, in this store is to kind of show that the, the ability the company has to implement these formats anywhere is important. Um, I, I'm gonna go back to the Amazon. Okay, so you have more than 1,000 stores. I know that a lot of the, uh, uh, of the testing has already just, just started in January. Right. But we want this, Kevin. I can tell you we want this as consumers. Can you, do you ever think you could blow it out to a thousand stores? Well, I think it'll, the results will tell us, right? I mean, if the customer responds, they think it's a great experience, they use the service, but very importantly, it drives incremental traffic, right. then we're going to look to expand it. We're half of the equation, right? The right. other half right. is, our, is our pilot partner, and it has to work for them as well. So I'm sure they have their own criteria that they're looking at to see whether or not it's a success. But I think the core idea, which is to come up with innovative ways to drive more people into our stores, that's the big idea. All right, last question. The consumer. Now, we're in Jersey where the taxes went the wrong way, but you've got stores all over the country. Is the consumer spending because they've got more money after tax reform? I think the answer is yes. I think two things. I think businesses are investing more. Kohl's is a great example of that, right? We're investing more in our people. We're investing more in our omni-channel strategy mm -hmm. uh, aggressively. And I think from a consumer perspective, anything that puts more money in their pocket is an opportunity for us to tap into. So, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Well, I want to congratulate you. I know this is your last year. You're going out at an incredibly high note. And this stock, when you turn them like this, they don't go away after one quarter. I wish people realized that, that Kohl's remains a great buy 
including when your successor takes over. That's great. Thanks, Jim. All right. That's Kevin Mansell. He's chairman, president, and CEO of Kohl's, a stock that we've been behind for a double, and there's a lot more coming. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round, please. Let's start with William in Ohio. William. Yeah, this is Jim Kramer. Jim Kramer. Yes. Uh, I'm. Uh, I want to. I'm just first first time caller, and I love your show. Thank you. Uh, I want to know what the long term is for Alibaba. Alibaba and Baidu, okay, and Baozun are the three Chinese stocks I think have the greatest future that trade here. Tencent doesn't, and I, I bless buying any of those. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Berkshire Hathaway Bees. Oh, you just buy Berkshire Hathaway. Just buy it. Now, the reason why GE was up with rumors that Berkshire is taking a stake in GE, we do not know if this is true. So I cannot comment and say, you know what, buy GE or sell Berkshire on that news because there's no way of knowing if it's true or not, even though many people took action today. Jeffrey and Marilyn Jeffrey. Yes. Jeffrey, you're up. Hey, Kramer. I really love the show. Thank I have a question you, about your old stomping ground in Goldman Sachs. Thank you. Uh, Goldman Sachs, I got to tell you, if we hadn't just talked about it right now, my travel trust would be a buyer. We were going to tell club members that it's time to buy in the 240s. I think it's a great bet on the volatility that we're all seeing. They are ready for it. Let's go to Hadley in Arizona. Hadley. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Same. What's up? Uh, I'd like to know about Qualcomm, if it's a hold or a sell, or what's uh, with the company? You know what, company? Qualcomm is a hold. They do need to close this NXPI deal. Need to see approval by the Chinese. Surprised they don't have it yet. And then they'll be diversified and be more in the automobile. Not autonomous driving, but just the automobile. Suddenly autonomous driving. Can you imagine? You'd want them to be autonomous driving so badly. Well, before. Let's go to Rosemary in Pennsylvania, please. Rosemary. Hi, Jim. I'm calling about Cisco stock. I bought it quite a few years ago, and I did very well with it, but it's been, not been doing very well lately. What is your opinion? Well, I, I, I don't know, Rosemary. I mean, it depends on, on how you view things. I mean, to me, when you get the dividend and when you look at what Chuck Robbins has done, it's up 11% this year. It's up from 30 in August of 2017. From 30 to 42 doesn't seem all that bad to me. I like Cisco. I would be a buyer here. I wish my chapel trust had bought some today. I think it's a good stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Today was another tough one. Dow dropping 1.4%. NASDAQ sliding almost 3%. And in a challenging environment, you know what I like to do? I like to fall back on powerful long-term things that just keep working, although there aren't that many of them left after what happened earlier today. 
Themes like the humanization of pets, the idea these days people spend fortunes on their companion animals because they're viewed as members of the, of the family. That's one reason why Zoetis, the animal health care company specializing in drugs and vaccines for both pets and livestock, has been such a huge winner. Here's a stock that's run up over 13% year-to-date after gaining 35% in 2017. With all of the turmoil here in the market, we got to ask, maybe the stock's too high. I don't know. It's a good theme. Let's check in with Juan Ramon Alikes. He's the CEO of Zoetis. Get a better sense of how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Alikes, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Nice to see you. Well, you've, please sit down. Now, you've got some pretty interesting statistics, but first of all, congratulations on your uh, five-year anniversary. Thank and you, you have vastly outperformed the industry, haven't you? We have been uh, doing uh, a remarkable uh, performance. In the last uh, five years, since we became uh, a public company, we have been uh, growing faster than uh, the market in terms of uh, revenues, and mm-hmm. uh, we grew an average of uh, 21% on adjusted uh, net income. And very important, in 2017, we double or almost double uh, our operating uh, cash flow. Oh, it's incredible what you guys have done, and it's continuing. This quarter uh, just reported companion animal products. I'm going to focus on those for a second, not livestock. Grew 15 percent, uh, and that this is uh, amazing. Uh, 18 percent on an operational basis overseas, where you're just really taking. Th- uh, you're really just blowing the doors off. Why are you outperforming your competitors? I think it's, uh, the, the answer is uh, because of uh, all the innovation that has been uh, delivering uh, to the market. Yeah. And innovation in uh, new products. Uh, we introduce uh, Apoquel. Apoquel is a product for uh, itching dogs. Right. Together with uh, Apoquel, which is performing extremely well, we also added a monoclonal antibody called Cytopoint, mm-hmm. also for the same uh, medical condition, itching dogs, uh, dermatology issues. We introduce uh, Simparica, which is an oral uh, parasiticide uh, for uh, ticks and fleas. Chewable! A chewable one. Right. And uh, I think it's uh, this type of uh, products are replacing uh, the all uh, topical. It's much more right. friendly to the environment. It's uh, easier for uh, kids. And it's something that the veterinarians are adopting uh, very fast. The direct-to-consumers working the advertisement on these. I know that uh, we found Apoquil because we used to put that Elizabethan collar on one of our dogs. It stops the kind of itching where they really do shred themselves. Well, it's it's working extremely well. And the DTC is helping uh, us to increase the awareness of uh, these medical conditions and informing a pet owners that uh, now is a solution. A solution is working uh, nicely and very fast. You are working on something. I know that we're trying to pigeonhole you to say it's a blockbuster, but one of the things that drives us crazy is our dogs can't tell us if they're in pain. You're working on pain. How do we know they're in pain? Well, they are, well dogs are active animals. Right. If uh, your dog is not uh, running or uh, probably a little bit uh, lazy, it's a good uh, symptom that uh, probably it's uh, suffering from uh, pain. But uh, we are developing uh, products that uh, will replace the, the current uh, uh, products available, NSAIDs. We are uh, now working on uh, monoclonal antibodies. We also acquire... Yeah. Yeah. Can we afford those? Well, I, I mean, remember, we, humans are covered by uh, Medicare and by, uh, you know, our health care system. You, you have to pay these out of pocket. You will, because uh, we already have one monoclonal antibody, which is a cytopoint. Okay. And now we are using uh, this uh, technology for other indications, including uh, pain in dogs, but also very important, pain in cats. There is nothing working today for uh, cats. And if we bring uh, this solution to the market, it will be a significant opportunity for, uh, for Zoetis and will bring uh, a significant tool 
the veterinary. Could it, could it be bigger than uh, itching or, or flea and tick? No, itching it, uh, will be uh, the, our largest uh, franchise. So we are already reported that we uh, expect uh, to generate more than uh, 500 million in sales uh, this year. That's how much. I remember when you first started talking about this with me. I thought it might be big. I didn't know yeah. it's that big. No, it's uh, the combination of uh, Apoquel and uh, Cytopoint will be exceeding uh, 500 million in, uh, in revenues in uh, 2018. Is that one of the reasons why the, the companion animals has kind of switched? I look at that more than livestock, which is growing at a slower pace, a good pace, but a slower pace, right? Well, I, it is something that uh, it's, uh, now is the time of a companion animal. In the past, uh, we right. have been uh, generating a lot of uh, growth in the livestock, cattle or uh, swine or, mm. uh, or uh, poultry. We also had a significant growth in 2018, uh, 2017, coming from uh, our portfolio of vaccine for uh, fish. We made an acquisition, and uh, this is performing extremely well. Your numbers for cattle and poultry are well above the industry. Again, is that innovation? I think it's innovation. It's also the quality of our uh, people in the field and also the breadth of our portfolio. We can offer to our uh, veterinarians and also producers almost all the needs they have in terms of uh, keeping, uh, keeping the animals healthy and productive. Uh, one last question. There is a, an animal health business that's said to be for sale. Uh, Eli Lilly, you have huge cash flow. This is Elanco. Do you bother to look at it or you just say, you know what, we're doing so well, we don't need to do anybody else's business. We don't need to buy anything. I think it's, uh, we are focused on uh, what we are doing uh, today. Uh, definitely, we will uh, assess in any opportunity in the market, uh, but uh, it's important to understand that uh, we have a significant uh, market share in, uh, in our uh, industry, and uh, an acquisition of a large uh, company will create a lot of uh, antitrust uh, issues. Got you. Very fair. And for those of you who are uh, animal lovers and owners, as I am, uh, Apoquil is just a wonder truck. That's Juan Ramon Alice. He's the CEO of Zoetis. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. I want to talk about Microsoft for a second. It's really indicative of what's happening. Yesterday, Microsoft was up four. Why? Because an analyst said it could be the first stock to a trillion dollars. Today, it was down four. Was there anyone recommending the stock? No. It was just a complete vacuum. A vacuum. We had many stocks go down on vacuums today. I'm not saying buy them. I am saying understand we are going down too quickly. Like I said, there's always been work summer. I promise to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.